Okay, first I want to say thank you for coming in these frigid temperatures. It's quite cold and uh, only the diehards show up, I think. It is cold. <coughs> I have a fitting koan uh, for today. Ended up being very fitting. This is case 94 for, from the Book of Equanimity. Dongshan is unwell. The introduction. The lower do not discuss the higher. The base do not move the noble. Even if you can control yourself and follow others, you still cannot toil at the heavy by means of the light. When the physical elements are out of tune, how does one attend and nurture the case? When Dongshan was unwell, a monk asked, You are ill, teacher, but is there anyone who does not get ill? Dongshan said, There is. The monk said, Does the one who is not ill look after you? Dongshan said, I have the opportunity to look after him. The monk said, How is it when you look after him? Dongshan said, then I don't see that he has any illness. The verse, taking off the smelly skin bag, casting away the mass of red flesh, directly the nose is straight, immediately the skull is dry. The old doctor doesn't see the indigestion from before. The little one looks in on him, but it's hard to approach. When the meadow streams are thin, the autumn ponds recede. Where the white clouds end, the old mountains are cold. You must cast off absolutely. Don't be big-headed. Evolving to the utmost effortlessness, he attains to the state. The lone standout is not in the same class as you. But it can be in the same class as you. Or you can be in the same class as it. This winter is a tough one. Seems that way. It's cold for a little while, then warms up. Spring-like temperatures fluctuates. And these fluctuations create fertile conditions for all kinds of viruses to flourish. It seems like we all take turns these days in getting sick. We're not sick, we know of somebody who is sick. So once in a while we need to talk about what does it mean to be sick and how do we deal with not being well. During the course of our lives, we come into physical existence, inhabit this form for some time, and then dissolve into a state of what we may consider formlessness. And between the point of coming into existence and the point of dissolving lies what we each consider as the self, 
and that specific time frame we encounter many details that comprise the content of what this precious self is. What exactly is this self? We might say that it is a conglomeration of the historical facts that manifest as memories and emotions, the sense of our present identity that is built on the emotional and cognitive ways which we interpret the factual experiences thus far, and some sense of direction or future aspiration. And that complex package seems to be wrapped in this fragile body that determines the shape and the state of our identity. It would be quite a miserable existence existent, to totally identify life with that, with this neatly wrapped package, as it is. And so if we are fortunate, at some point in our lives, we begin to experience a sense of a stable background that supports the fluctuating foreground. We begin to get in touch with the arising bodhicitta, as we often speak about. But at the beginning stages of this experience, or experiences, it's still very dim. Right? And it can create a dichotomy between what we imagine it to be and what we experience in everyday life. This body we reside in is incredibly sophisticated and self-repairing, but it is also very susceptible, easily affected by changes in external conditions and fluctuations. And on top of that, there is the emotional and mental states it's not just the physical. Since we grew up trapped in this skin bag, right, it is only familiar for us. All we know about ourselves is what we experience. So we have moments of feeling low, and that becomes who we are. We have moments of feeling high, and that becomes who we are. So who we are fluctuates based on external conditions and circumstances. Right? And that's all we know to be ourselves. So is there anything else? And this koan, Dongshan does not, is not well, and then the monk asked her, a good question. Is that all there is, or is there anything else there? And if there is something else, what is the relationship between that and the physical state of our body, mind, being? Is there a gap? When we're not at ease emotionally or mentally, reality takes on a whole different meaning. Right? When we don't feel well, the world seems to be different. It seems darker. It seems heavier. More cumbersome. But when we feel well, physically, mentally, we have a little clarity. 
then the world seems lighter, more fluid. Does it fluctuate? Do we fluctuate? Does it fluctuate with us? What really happens to the background when we feel what we feel? There is what we call emptiness, formlessness, and there is what we call form. And when the form is not well, or the four, the four elements are not in alignment, as they say, what happens to the background? In the Hot Sutra we chant over and over again, form is no other than emptiness, emptiness no other than form. That would mean that, or that would appear to mean, that when we are sick or we don't feel well, formlessness is also not well, is also not in alignment. But is that so? What is your experience when you're feeling sick? Is there anything else? Or can you be in touch with something else that is not sick? We need to face this. We need to face our own fragility, our own mortality. And when we face that, we need to face the whole catastrophe. In this Quran today, this monk is faced with illness of his beloved teacher. And although this dialogue does not mention it, I am sure, we can all be sure, that he was saddened to witness Dongshan in such a physical condition. But he also knew how to skillfully revolve the Dharma and use the moment to draw out some teaching from his teacher and to deepen his own understanding. This guy's never wasted a minute and always kept sharpening their soul. Always. Any situation, any circumstance, they kept the Dharma moving forward. Stories like this show us the vigor of the Zen tradition that we should encourage. Right? We should also not be wasteful. Every moment, no matter how we feel, no matter where we're at, is an opportunity to go deeper. Time swiftly passes by and opportunities are lost. That is an opportunity. This winter, obviously you're here. You're not sitting at home. You're not staying with a hot cup of hot chocolate in your hand, which you feed up. You show up. You make the effort. You take the time. You revolve the Dharma. 
That's what that means. So this monk is asking, you are ill teacher, but is there anyone who does not get sick? Do you make your home in the fundamental or in the ephemeral? During doubt moments, you probably ask yourself as well, how do I find my way to the light? Where is the light in the dark? Light and darkness seem to be dual for us, right? And we tend to run away from one and chase the other. And yet in the Sandokai we chant, Within light there is darkness, but do not take it as darkness. Within darkness there is light, but do not see it as light. Light and darkness are a pair, like the foot before and the foot behind in walking. This means that what happens to, what happens to appear as dual is intrinsically independent and interdependent at the same time. Non-dual means non-dual, but non-dual does not mean appears in the same way all the time. One has many kinds. The many kinds are one all the time. And yet, there are many kinds. But it doesn't feel this way, right? When you are sick, you are sick. And every, every cell of your body is telling us, telling you to run away from, to try to find a way to run away from being uncomfortable, from the pain. Which only creates more pain, more suffering. In another encounter, a monk asked Dongshan, when cold and heat come, how should we avoid them? In other words, when pain and discomfort arise, how do we elevate them? How do we, how do we make it easier? Dongshan said, when hot, let it be so hot that it kills you. When cold, let it be so cold that it kills you. Now, seen through a dualistic viewpoint, this may sound counterintuitive, but in reality, in reality, learning to stay with discomfort opens up the possibility for merging between the subject and the object, allowing the perceived self to be absorbed into the flow of reality and inseparably ride the highs and lows. It's like riding waves. When you merge with it, what you call you and what you call wave manifest as a unified moment. But as soon as there is a gap, what you call you gets smacked around by what you call wave. It's the same when we're ill. As soon as there is something that resists that illness, there is a gap. And that which resists gets smacked around by the illness. That's an opportunity to merge, to blend, to harmonize. But it doesn't mean a whole lot because essentially we're trying to harmonize it with itself, which is made up. 
but it is so made up that it feels real. And so we have to do the work to harmonize it with itself. It's kind of odd, but it's what we have to do. We see that some of you practice Aikido, we see that in Aikido training, right? As Uke Inage, the attacker and the one who's being attacked, blend into a continuous flow. When we look closely, we see that this principle of blending works in all aspects of life. And it's very helpful to see that. To see that we are perceiving dual. We are perceiving subject and object. That's a given. And then to stay with that and to try to merge that gap. To go further. Not to live by an assumption that that's the way it is. To go deeper into where is the gap between the one who is sick and the one who is not sick. Between the one that is perceived as form and the one that is perceived as formless. You know, the suffering that we may feel when we are ill does not come directly from the pain and discomfort. It has more to do with the mental anguish that arises when we are unsuccessfully trying to get out of the state we're in. That's what suffering is. We can deal with pain, but we know that because we have. But there's nothing to do about constantly resisting. Right? That is where the suffering arises out. Which makes sense because we don't want to feel this way. And that's where we have to apply some effort. This is where we have to do the work. At the moment, the moments of feeling, I want out of this. I've had enough. It's the second, third week I'm feeling this way. Or whatever other thoughts that arise in our minds. Makes sense, doesn't it? It should not be happening. I wish to feel better. I wish to be elsewhere. Right? Those are the thoughts that represent the underlying rejection. But they are just thoughts. Essentially like any other thought that we experience or run into in meditation, in zazen. Just thoughts. I don't want to feel this way. What does it mean? What do I do with it when it arises? Here is the thought, I don't want to feel this way, and yet, here is how I feel. So what do I let go of? The thought or the experience? That's always the question. And the tendency is, of course, to let go of the way we feel and to hold on to the thought, I don't want to feel this way. Except for when we feel great. But then there is a thought, how long will that last? 
right? Feeling great comes with that thought already. Because we know that sooner or later that will change too. By the way, we're not happy. We feel great. We're worried about it expiring. We feel like crap. We want to get out of that. Life resistance, which is the underlying fuel for suffering. Not blending, not in agreement, not in alignment, we suffer. But the mental anguish and, and the pain arise simultaneously, so quickly, that we don't even see that there is a gap. We don't even know that there is another way to be, another way to exist. It feels as if they both come out of the same source and they are one. And this is not different, not much different than the intense feeling of anger, for example, that we may experience when we find out that we go to the parking lot, we find out that our car was smashed. Right? There is that intense feeling of anger. As soon as we see that, But where does it come from? That intense feeling did not come from the smashed car. It came from you. And at that moment, in the same way that the second we see it is the second that, we, that the feeling arises, right? The same time which seems to be as if it is coming from that. But look closer, look deeper, and you see. It pushed something in you that responded in this manner. But it did not come from what you see. It does not come from the experience. We bring it to the experience. Because we are separated from what we are experiencing. Because we are not merged. The non-merging is not something that happens when we feel ill. It's something that we experience when we feel sick. Because it's intense. but we actually perpetuate it moment by moment, day by day. Which means we have an opportunity or opportunities to work on it moment by moment, day by day. <clears throat> we don't have to wait until we're feeling intense rejection or intense suffering. We always have opportunities to revolve the Dharma, to do the work, to practice, and to practice with a little, the small level of resistance.
And that's practice, right? When you learn to practice, whatever it is you practice, if you want to pick up a musical instrument, you don't go on stage and start, and start playing, right? You practice basics. When you practice sailing a boat, you don't go to deal with the storm. You practice in the bay. Same with our lives, same with all resistances, the little ones. We have to become aware, moment by moment, what am I resisting right now, or am I resisting anything? Maybe not. Am I, in, am I in alignment, or am I aligned with whatever that is going on, that moment, life, as is? Am I creating resistance? How do we do that? Something has to change. Something has to shift in the way we are encountering and dealing with reality moment by moment. We have to let go and let go and let go and let go. And the more we let go, the more we need to let go. The more we practice, the more we need to practice. How do we experience freedom in the midst of what is binding us? For example, being sick. It seems very binding, very limiting. In such moments, where is the freedom? But Dongshan is suggesting is much more than just a way to deal with discomfort. He's saying that to resist is to hold on to a self that is having an external experience. To resist is to stand aside, apart of the experience, saying, I am the one who is having the experience, and I am the one who does not want such an experience. That's where it lies, and this is where the, the opening is. This is where the opportunity is. And on the other hand, to merge, as Dongshan is saying or suggesting, is to let go of the separated self. So all that's left is just an experience without the storyline attached to it, without the one who is miserable, feeling the way we feel. That has to be let go of. The one who doesn't like it. In the same way, when we have good experiences, let go of the one who does like it. Then you merge, then you blend it. You are in harmony. As the saying goes, in the seeing there is merely seeing, in the hearing there is merely hearing. In the doing, there is merely doing. In the pain, there is merely pain. There is no gap between that which is 
experiencing and that which is being experienced. And if there is a gap, then we need to ask, where does the gap come from? Thought about this, remind me of my grandmother who, when she was, you know, 80s, she suffered diabetes and one of her, she had a foot uh, amputated. And she was in the hospital and when family came to visit and asked her how she's doing, all she wanted to talk about was how amazingly gracious the staff was at the hospital to her. How kind the nurses were to her. They looked after all her needs. That seemed to interest her a lot more than thinking about how do I live with having one foot? and the pain which I'm sure she was experiencing. It was quite amazing, quite remarkable how little she was interested in her own pain. She was a remarkable woman which I learned a lot from her, I think maybe was one of my first teachers in life. She's still with me, obviously, in different ways. But examples like that show us something. And we have a choice. We always have a choice. What do I want to place my attention? What do I want to focus on? And we can see what happens when I focus on my own pain and misery and attach a storyline to that and what happens when I focus on other people. What happens to the pain? What happens to the suffering, the story? In darkness there is light. And in light there is darkness. What do you choose? Where do you want to reside? What do you want to do? Dongshan is fully merged with the current state of his body. So he can freely answer the monk saying, yes, there is someone who is not ill. And the footnote says, he emphatically makes a point of it. But is it clear enough for us? Or do we need further instructions? He clearly makes a point of it. And he shows us something. But the monk keeps going. So he asks, does the one who is not sick look after you? So he keeps pushing. And Dong Shan says, I have the opportunity to look after him. 
In Maizumi's translation, Dongshan says, this old monk is able to look after others. Which is what my grandmother did when she was in the hospital. While she was going through what she was going through, she was able to see others. She paid attention to something else. To something that is way bigger than the pain. To that which is not ill. It's always available. When it's cold, let it be so cold that it kills you. And if it kills you, you're able to listen to others, to see others. And if it doesn't kill you, it thrusts you deeply into the storyline. And then you perpetuate it further and further. And we suffer. There is the choice. Right there is the choice. This old monk is able to look after others, which is saying the same thing, but in a different way, in a way that may help us understand what Dongshan is pointing at. To realize deeply and then to let go of that and to be in the world as a vessel for transmitting the Dharma for others. It's a great honor and a privilege. And it's amazing because it helps us reduce the unnecessary suffering by addressing and healing the real illness. The real illness is not the pain. It's something else. In our lifetime, we experience various forms of illness with different degrees of pain and discomfort. And this is just the natural way the body is reacting to changing conditions. It is beyond right or wrong. It is beyond it should or shouldn't happen. It just is. It's just the way things are. And in that, it's not the source of our true illness. Vimala Kirti, an historical figure who was considered one of the most, or the most deeply realized laymen during the time of the Buddha, was quite ill at some point. And so the Buddha sent few of his disciples to visit him. When it was Manjushri's turn, he showed up, approached Vimala Kirti and asked, Layman, what is the cause of your illness? Has it been wrong with you? And how can it be cured? Vimalakirti replied, This illness of mine is born of ignorance and feelings of attachment. Because all living beings are sick, therefore I am sick. If all living beings are relieved of sickness, then my sickness will be mended. Why? Because the Bodhisattva, for the sake of living beings, enter the realm of birth and death. And because he is in the realm of birth and death, he suffers illness. If living beings can gain release from illness, 
then the Bodhisattva will not be ill. Then it goes on to describe how parents would be sick also if their child is sick. And when the child is not sick, the parents will also not be sick. That is the right understanding of illness, sickness. And that is what's mended when the attention shifts from the pain to something else. From the storyline to life, to reality, to others. And these words, Vimalakirti's words and Dongshan's words, can only come out of the one who is not ill. And yet, they are uttered by a person who is clearly experiencing physical ailment. The mouth that is moving is a part of a body that is experiencing pain. So where is the gap? Where is the foreground in the background? Where is the background in the foreground? How do we reconcile that? The one who hears the cries of the world is the one who does not claim ownership over the blood that flows in, or in his or her veins. And the one who recognizes that we are just one body. The one who recognizes that a part reflects the whole and the whole reflects the part. Now, some of you may have read about Indra's net or heard about Indra's net in the Avatamsaka Sutra. It is a metaphor for an holographic universe where every point reflects the totality of the whole which is another way to illustrate equal interpenetration of each particular this is what the Chinese Huayang describes as the aspect of interdependent origination no fixed self emptiness Indra's net is kind of like a cobweb or spider's web. When you touch one part, the whole thing is moving. It is felt, every little movement is felt throughout the whole net. This is why when one strand is ill, the whole thing is ill. And at the same time, when one strand is well, then the whole thing is affected. If we understand that, we understand the responsibility we have. We understand the importance of the work we do in relation to what happens throughout the world. It's an essential part of practice. It's extremely important in Buddhist teachings and in the understanding, understanding of Zen practice itself. 
It is showing us why we are diseased as humanity and it is pointing to how we cure it. Wars do not happen across the ocean. And horrific, horrific acts of violence do not disappear when we turn the TV off. It is always with us. We are always with it. We are the ones that are creating and propagating. We are the ones who are doing it. <laughs> when the monk asks, how is it when you look after him? How is that? Dong Chan calmly says, then I don't see that he has any illness. Dongshan's voice is the voice of Indra's net. And there, the illness of the physical body deems insignificant. The universe naturally expands and contracts and forms into being and then dissolves. Why do we make such a big deal out of that? It's just the way it is. And the footnote says, it is just that he doesn't agree to investigate the temporary. He doesn't agree to investigate the temporary. That is not where his attention is. This is dwelling nowhere, raising the body-mind. He is not concerned with investigating the temporary. It does not mean he is busy investigating the fundamental. He's not busy at all. He doesn't jump around between form and formless. He has clarified that. When we come into practice, there is a thought, right? We feel as if we are going to discover a peaceful dwelling place that is far away from the chaotic lives we come in from. And although we keep hearing that this shore is the other shore, that initial expectation is not so easily shaken off. Right? So when we get a glimpse of our fundamental nature, we can very quickly become attached to that and reside there. The realization is an amazing experience, so following our tendency to escape pain and run away from it towards pleasure will mean at the moment of realization that, oh, here is a new place. That's where I want to be. Everything is flowing, everything seems clear. And then the next day, the next moment, it changes. So we want to look for our way back to that experience. Again, there is a gap. It doesn't matter which side you choose, there is always going to be a gap if you choose a side. You choose the one who is ill, there is a gap. You choose the one who is not ill, there is a gap. Encountering the Absolute is not yet enlightenment, right? We must wash our bowls completely and then keep moving without a trace. Let go. Whatever it is you hold on to, let go of it. 
any degree of realization must be dropped off. What does it mean to not see the one who is ill? When we are merged, when we are totally with whatever it is that's going on, there is no seeing. Ria one once asked Yanta, what is the fundamental constant principle? And Yanta said, moving. Ryan said, when moving, then what? Same question. Right? Yanto said, you don't see the fundamental constant principle. You don't see the one who is ill. Ryan stood there thinking. Yanto said, if you agree, you are not free of sense and matter. If you don't agree, you will forever sunk in birth and death. You have to escape agreeing and not agreeing. Because both create a gap. We need to stop dancing around between the fundamental and the other side. That's the tendency. This is how we encounter the Dharma. But we can't make the Dharma in that way. Because if we do it, then we're not studying the Dharma. All we're doing is perpetuating the same thing in the name of the Dharma or with the Dharma. Dongshan does not see the illness in the same way that Gantu does not see the constant fundamental principle. At the beginning of practice, maybe if the, after for some time too, there is a sense of gazing towards the absolute from the ground of the relative. Right? We come in thinking, I'm going to approach that which is absolute, coming from that which is relative. Then we begin to deconstruct some of the assumptions, and then they develop a sense of being neither here nor there like being on the way between delusion and enlightenment. And then after training for some time, we experience openings and may feel as if we are standing on the groundlessness of the absolute realm, gazing at the relative realm. And that is a disease that is even more difficult to cure. And it's a shame to get stuck there, too. So we have to step forward from what is called the 100-foot pole. That has to be let go of, too. Both absolute and relative need to be washed away, dropped away. There's Dogen's worn-out saying goes, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. When actualized by the myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, will drop away. And then no trace of enlightenment remains. And this 
no trace continues endlessly. That is revolving the Dharma continuously. The tendency, our tendency is to hold on, to cling. So we come in with that sense of clinging. Now we are willing to let go of that, but not before we have our hand clinging to something else. We are willing to let go as long as we are holding on to something. But what we need to see is that the handle we are holding on to, again and again we have to see that it's not attached to anything. There is nothing behind it. It's not bolted into anything. It is falling, we are falling. It is disintegrating, we are disintegrating. There is nothing to hold on to, ever. Which is why we create something to hold on to. Which is what gives us the sense of being stuck in what is not stuck. So we need to first let go of wanting to arrive somewhere, and then we need to let go of wanting to let go. And then we need to let go of wanting to let go of wanting to let go. Keep going in that way. And even after many years of practice, we still may encounter remnants of that grasping nature. So we need to keep traveling. Buddhism could be very easily misunderstood, very easily misunderstood. And I encounter, I'm sure you do as well, people who ask, well, if you realize that everything is one, and you arrive to that place of no place, and you are at peace, why would you bother doing anything? Why would you create anything? What would be the purpose of doing anything? And that's the opposite of what Buddhism is teaching us. Only through realizing that there is no self to feed, we are free to invest everything we have in creating, in doing good for others. We're not attached to an outcome. We are free to let go of whether what we do succeeds or does not succeed. Because we are not looking to find ourselves. We are just expressing that which essentially is formless. That's all we do. But we do it from freedom. Without shackles, without the chains of the illusion. And it changes everything. 
So people who say, what's the point? Of people that read about Buddhism, that have some kind of a intellectualized understanding of what it means. But that's as far as, far as it goes. And on the level of intellect, there is that. There is what's the point. There is coming and going. There is living, traveling, arriving. There is this shore and the other shore. There is self and other. There is the one who is experiencing pain and the one who is not experiencing pain. All that exists in that realm. Dongzhan once asked the monk, when I leave this leaking husk, skin bag, where will you go to meet me? The monk had no reply. Dongzhan said in the verse, Though the students are many, not one is enlightened. The mistake lies in pursuing the paths of others' tongues. If you want to be able to forget physical form and obliterate tracks, work hard to diligently walk in the void. Work hard to diligently walk in the void. Which means to constantly, continuously let go. And let go, and let go, and let go. So next time, which may not be too long, next time your experiences, pain, sickness, work with that. Don't run away from it. Stay with it and examine where, do, where does my attention go? What am I feeding? What do I want to feed? What else is going on? Who needs my help? Who needs my attention? What can I do for others? That will free you. Thank you.